be damned. Sir, where are you running? Why are you running? Are you doing this for world peace? Are you doing this for the homeless? Are you running for women's rights? Or for the environment? Or for animals? They just couldn't believe that somebody would do all that running for no particular reason. Why are you doing this? I just felt like running. Welcome to Talking Giants. By the way, Danny, I think we need to start like kind of introducing who we are in the beginning of shows now because we're gaining new listeners, which I completely appreciate, especially in like such a slow time in the NFL season, really when everyone's paying attention to the NBA, Stanley Cup. So I am your host, Bobby Skinner. I'm a Giants fan from my life, born in New Jersey, living down here in Florida. I'm here with Danny King, a Giants fan in New York. And we like to talk about Giants football, hence the name Talking Giants. We're part of John Boy Media, the Talking Yanks guys, all that good stuff. And we just do a podcast twice a week talking about the Giants. So we welcome you in. Danny, how you feeling after uh, one day of minicamp? I'm feeling good. I mean, I was in, as I was in class, I was reading some tweets and I was like, man, this sounds, I'm, I'm, I was just smiling reading Daniel Jones' tweets, just how the defense is performing well. Yes, it's only minicamp, but still, it's still good to hear some positive news coming out of minicamp. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, minicamp is fun. It's fun to pull the positives. But it's also, we don't want to get too high or too low on anything. Because like I said, like today they did red zone. We talk about it later. But today they did red zone. It was the first time they did red zone, and people are freaking out about Eli going 0 for 3 in it. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's going to be stuff that's kind of overjudged. Uh, there's going to be stuff that we get overhyped about. Um, but, yeah, I think we should just keep a keel mind. But that being said, the Giants did make a transaction. They signed Keon Adams. He was an outside linebacker, a.k.a. pass rusher for Western Michigan, was drafted in the seventh round by the Steelers in 2017. Has been on the practice squad, has not played, and we got—I got absolutely nothing on him. But I think you got some stats and stuff on him, right? Yes, his NFL stats are non-existent. I, I'm not even sure if he's even played in a real NFL game. But his college stats over his four years at Western Michigan, he recorded 126 tackles, 33 of those for a loss, 14 and a half sacks, four forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, and a pass defense over the course of 44 games. So, uh, I mean, he he seemed like he was a very quality player at Western Michigan. Obviously, he wasn't quality for the Steelers, because if he was, he would still be playing for them, or he would have had an NFL snap. He, as you said, on their practice squad, and they waived him. In, they signed him to a futures deal in this year, but then they waived him in May, and now they signed him, and they waived linebacker Jeremiah Harris with an injury designation. Yeah, uh, he was teammates with Sam Beal at Western Michigan. I know that. So we might have the most Western Michigan players in the NFL, at least on defense. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, I can only name you now Sam Beal and uh, Keon Adams as Western Michigan players. I don't know any other Western Michigan players in this league. You know there's got to be a few floating around, especially with 90-man rosters. Everyone has oh, yeah. four QBs right now. I guarantee you there's a Western Michigan quarterback somewhere in the NFL today. But let's let's talk. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about the first day of mandatory minicamp. Everyone in attendance. And like we alluded to earlier, Daniel Jones had a really good day. Had some amazing passes. Uh, one in the red zone. Uh, one one wasn't a touchdown, but the re- he had a read option that he ripped off for I don't know, 30 yards or so. Um, just a really good day out of Daniel Jones. We talk about we did, we recorded voicemails first, so a disclaimer. So I keep on saying we talk about it later, but we talked a lot about Daniel Jones later in the voicemail uh, portion of the episode, not voicemail, mailbag. And like, there's a lot to be excited about, but like we said before, we want to temper our expectations. But it's definitely fun, and like the the whole arm strength stuff that coming into this, like I haven't had heard anybody talking about that. No, the arm, the questions about his arm have died down. Basically entirely, maybe you probably got like one or two people saying, ah, oh, but his arm could be better. But once again, you can't please everyone. And as you said, we got to keep our expectations at, at a low right now. It's only mini camp, but this was training camp. I guarantee we would be losing our minds. But it was still just good to hear that Daniel Jones had a very good day at mini camp, especially on a day where it sounds like the defense also had a dominating day. So it was just good to hear him having a good day at mini camp. 
Yeah, definitely. And who also had a good day at minicamp from what we've heard. DeAndre Baker, the first-round corner. He practiced with the first team, which means something because Sam Beal, from all accounts, has been having you know really good OTAs. But as much as I like Sam Beal and want to see him on the field eventually, and I think that will be kind of the way Janoris Jenkins goes out the door, is like, listen, we got all these corners. DeAndre Baker was the one drafting the first round. DeAndre Baker was the one we traded up for. DeAndre Baker is the one who had an amazing game against Alabama, just an amazing career at the University of Georgia. And to hear that he's having a really good day going against the first team with, you know, going against guys like Sterling Shepard, Golden, actually not much Golden Tate because Golden Tate plays in the slot. But just to be shining out there against Eli Manning and, you know, in his first few weeks of being in the NFL, I I really am happy to hear that because I, I think he's, like Dexter Lawrence, we all think he's good, but you can't get much out of minicamp out of the offensive and defensive linemen, and it's not all flashy. Daniel Jones, we want to hear a lot about, but DeAndre Baker was the one guy that's like, man, he has to come in and be really good right away. No, yeah, it's awesome hearing a first-round player in DeAndre Baker that the Giants seem to have extremely high expectations for. They traded back into the first round, and he wasn't the player, at least I was, he wasn't the player I was expecting them to go after, and when they went after him, like, I didn't I didn't do any research on DeAndre Baker, but then once I did my research on him, I'm like, oh, now I know why they went after him, and as you said, it seems like right now, uh, if Art Stapleton said, uh, Someone asked him between Baker and Beal, who would he give the opening day's job to? He said uh, Baker is a favorite to start because Beal gave up a few plays today. But he also said, don't take anything away from Beal. Beal is still a quality player. But just hearing DeAndre Baker dominating at minicamp, it just brings a smile to my face. Yeah, the defensive backs have been a big storyline. Jabril Peppers has really been making waves, and we'll talk about him uh, in a second. But, yeah, we just have a, a plethora of corners, you know, after this draft. Sam Beal obviously picking the supplementary draft last year in the third round, picking Julian Love, who I, everyone likes Julian. Everyone loves Julian Love. I'll go ahead with the pun. Um, but he's been he's been playing nickel. Um, him and Grant Haley have been battling for the, that nickel spot. And but like I said, Sam Beal was the impressive guy out of the first week of OTAs. He had a good week uh, in last week's OTAs. And eventually – this is going to move on to Norris Jenkins. And as much as I like Jenkins, and I think he's still a really good player. If we're not playoff contending at the trade deadline, I, I really expect Jenkins to be gone because you, I, I, these guys have to get on the field eventually. Uh, but if, if we're competing, obviously Jenkins gives us the best chance at that, at least this year. No, a hundred percent. Cause as Jenkins is at turn his last year, the Giants really identified the defensive back position as an area of need in the draft, and they went out and they got a bunch of quality players. As you said, Julian Love, DeAndre Baker, Corey Ballantyne, and they already have quality players inside the room, Sam Beal, Grant Haley. So once Janoris is gone, I feel like we're in a very capable hands with our defensive backs. Uh, I say I read somewhere that I would say I read somewhere. I, I'm not saying this. It is the most improved uh, secondary in the league, and I say that's a true fact because they got quality young players. They got a dominant uh, first-round corner, DeAndre Baker. They got probably, as people are saying, the best draft pick to come out of the supplemental draft since Josh Gordon in Sam Beal. So I say the Giants could be maybe one of the top the pass coverage teams in the league. Yeah, I wish one of those guys played nickel, and maybe you could put Sam Beal in there eventually. Because you just want to I, – I, we want to see these guys now, and it's hard to have patience when you have these guys drafted, you know, early. Like, you know, I guess first or third round is early. Um, and then Julian – like, maybe playing Julian Love is safety, but we also have our spots filled with safety with Peppers and Bethea. So, yeah, it's good. They are going to be – it's going to be the most intriguing battle. It might not be the most wide open or, or whatnot, but it, mo- it will be the most intriguing battle will be. Sam Beal and DeAndre Baker just because of the expectations for both of them. Uh, but I, I mentioned Jabril Peppers. Jabril Peppers, like, he has been making waves so far. Uh, one is just his play on the field. He's been out there making plays. But he seems to be like a leader and really a guy that everyone in the clubhouse likes. Uh, he likes to talk trash, which I'm a huge fan of that. I love talking trash. I, lo- I, I, I think it's a big part of practice. It helps practices go along. 
you know, practices can get very mundane. Uh, coming from someone who hated practice, if I was pissed off or someone was talking trash to me, it just it just makes you practice harder. And so, as long as they're not, you know, beating the you know the the tar out of each other, which a good fight's good every once in a while too. But I'm I like that. Supposedly uh, Saquon and Shep have been chirping back at him. I mean, Jabril Peppers is going to be a guy that every he might he's going to be a fan favorite uh, come this season. No, yeah, uh, as Pat Shermer said, he said. Jabril Peppers has been a leader since day one, the moment he entered the building. And as you said, me just he he just brings that new form of competitive to practice. Obviously, it's always been there, but like he's just bringing it out in everyone, the offense, the defense. Now, I'm going to bring it up. For my knowledge, I don't remember Landon Collins being like Jabril Peppers. Jabril Peppers has like this different side to him than Landon Collins. Now, we're not... Yeah, pass coverage side. Yeah, oh, oh boy, you just opened a whole can of worms. I saw <laughs> what happened on t- on the Twitter page this Sunday with the whole Jabril Peppers, Landon Collins thing. But the get to my point, uh, Landon Collins, I'm, I'm not going to take anything away from him, but Jabril Peppers, I feel like he brings out this other side of this team. He wants them to feel like practice is important and just tr- smack talk in the offensive side and have Sterling Shepard, Saquon come back at him. As you said, it makes practice more fun. It makes the people having more fun. And I wrote this down in my notes. I said, now, as you said, this isn't a bad thing, but in training camp, Jabril Peppers is going to start some form of scuffle. He's going to be talking smack to someone, and it's going to start into a little shoving match. So if we're taking training camp bet fights, I'm saying Jabril Peppers is starting to fight this training camp. I can see that, especially him coming down the box and going against offensive linemen. Definitely could see that. I'm a big fan of a training camp fight, maybe two. Uh, but, yeah, and one thing is, like, none of the beat reporters have been, like, man, like, he just is super immature out there and won't stop trash, trash talking. So it's obviously in good fun. Uh, but, yeah, I could definitely see him starting a fight. And I, I'm, I'll say it, I'm a, I'm a fan of fighting. I love fights. Um, so, yeah, that will be interesting to see. Uh, I guess since Peppers talked to the media, we can uh, uh, trans translate Transition, that was the word. Uh, idiot. Idiot I am. Pat Shermer talked to the media. Sterling Shepard talked. Won't you lead us off with uh, Sterling Shepard's? Uh, so Sterling Shepard, obviously the main question of him being asked was, it, how does it feel that Odell's gone, and do you feel more pressure on your shoulders? Uh, to the question that, it does it feel different Odell's gone? It's surprise, surprise. He said, yes, it does. Obviously, we all know Odell was that brought a different, like, attitude to the locker. Players loved him. Fans, some fans hated him. So, the the player Odell, everyone in the locker room loved him. I have no doubt in my mind about that. But he says he feels prepared for life without Odell because he did it in 2017 when Odell fractured his ankle, and he did it in the end of 2018 when Odell was out with the hematoma. So, Sterling Shepard says he feels confident without being Odell. He said Odell is his brother for life, but he knows that he has to focus on his own thing. Uh, I'll, I'll let you respond to that first. How do you feel about that? That's I, I love everything he said. What was what what made me laugh about that was the question. Like the guy, he, I, you can always tell when they're nervous, and I'm not like like throwing you know throwing rocks because I've been nervous in an, you know doing an interview before too. But he's like, uh, anything different with, uh, you know, uh, you, you got someone not there that a uh, uh, wide receiver, we will, uh, or, or uh, I won't say his name. It's like, just say Odell Beckham, dude. You oh, know? I remember that question. <laughs> I was, just, I was... He, he danced around it so much. It's funny. I don't know who it was. Uh, but you could tell he was like, maybe I shouldn't say Odell. Maybe I shouldn't bring up Odell. And it's like, uh, the guy uh, who played wide receiver. I'm not going to say his name, but he averaged uh, 84 yards per game. Like, <laughs> I didn't say all that. I'm, I'm adding all that. But he was definitely nervous with that. It made me laugh. No, it's like the Giants gave out a banned list of words, and Odell Beckham Jr.'s name was on. They're like, you can't say his name. It's a, it's a sin nowadays. But to finish it off, uh, it was really mainly questions about Odell and the Jabril Peppers thing. We already covered that. But uh, he was asked about the Daniel Jones read option. Now, once again, we're going to preference it. It was practice, so there wasn't much contact. But still, Daniel Jones running a 30-yard play was the most we've seen a Giants quarterback run in decades at this point. Uh, he uh, Sterling said he loved the play of Jones running, 
And if you saw the video, basically the whole offense was like ecstatic. Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram were both losing their minds in the back. So it's just fun. I feel like this offense is having fun. It's only minicamp, but they're just still having fun going out there and practicing, learning new plays, and they're excited for the future that Daniel Jones brings. Yeah, definitely. And that reminds me, he said, like, man, like, it was kind of surprising. And so I was like, have you seen it? Like, did you know? He's like, yeah, I, I had heard. Which brings me, leads me to the question. Do you think Sterling Shepard has watched Daniel Jones play at Duke at all? Like, no. Do you think he's went back and watched it? Because I kind I kind of think he might have just watched like a little bit of the highlights. Maybe my threads he watched. He definitely just went back and looked. Let's be real. None of us were studying Daniel Jones before the draft. We just glanced over at him like, all right, the Duke quarterback, because everyone was thinking it was Dwayne Haskins. So Sterling Shepard was definitely looking at Dwayne Haskins' tape like, all right, like his fro here. But then he got Daniel Jones, and he's like, oh, wait a second. Then he had to do his research. He's like, oh, I, I like that one game he was in. It was a very nice fro. He can run. So once again, I'm not blaming Sterling Shepard. We literally did Daniel Jones' research like the whole week after the draft just because we literally knew not much about him. Yeah, it was just funny. It seemed like, like ah, I don't want to say I'm surprised completely, <laughs> but I'm surprised completely. Uh, that was funny. Uh, Pat Shermer talked to the media. The one thing that kind of stood out that was funny, which I guess on the same topic, the Daniel Jones run, and they're like, is it read option in the, in the playbook? He's like, yeah, definitely. It's something that's in the playbook. Uh, depends who the quarterback is, though. It's like, yeah, we, we got that part, Patrick. We, we understand that with Eli Manning in, the read option is not in the playbook. We understand that that is solely for Daniel Jones. I remember when it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game in 2017 when Eli ran it for like maybe 10 yards. I, I was literally screaming. I got lightheaded when I saw Eli Manning run to the end zone. I think I made the video about it. I, I may post it later. It was just me like in complete and utter shock. But as you said, Eli Manning, if I ever see Eli Manning run a read option, uh, I, I don't know what I'll do. That just be like the most legendary thing to happen in the NFL season this year. Well, now you got you to gotta, you gotta formulate something that you will do. If I got a read option. With, you just put yourself in the hole. Uh, yeah, that, that run against Tampa, uh, one of my really good friends is a Tampa Bay Bucks fan, and I just sent him that video every once in a while. Like, what are you talking about? Eli's not mobile. Check this out. Um, so yeah, Pat Shermer didn't really say much. I mean, I always get excited for these to see what they're saying and they, they're just not going to say much. He did talk about Perkins, um, how well he's been. Uh, he said Rod Smith picked up the play, been picking up the playbook pretty well, which, you know, many, many can't running back playbook. It, it just isn't that thick. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, Golden Tate, he, he speak highly of Golden Tate. And, you know, I said on the last episode about how high I am on Golden Tate. I still think he's got a lot left in the tank. You know, before he was traded, he was on pace for, you know, 110 catches, 1,100 yards. Um, he's had 90-plus catches, over 1,000 yards in, like, four out of the last five seasons, some more. Um, and that's and someone was saying to me, like, that's average. That is not average. Like, you can get an average a, – a guy that's a little bit above average to have one season like that. To have five seasons in a row, that is not average. It is really good. Is it Odell Beckham? Is it Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins? No, but it is really good. Look at Julian Edelman's numbers, Amari Cooper's numbers, guys like that, and you'll see that Golden Tate has been steadily better than them for the past five years. Uh, so yeah, I'm really high in Golden Tate, and I, you know, I've said in the past that I believe he will be Eli's number one target this year. That's just a problem, with Golden Tate. That's just a problem that Golden Tate's got to deal with. He's gonna get compared to Odell every Sunday after every game. People are gonna look at Odell's stats and then look at Golden Tate's stats, and I'm gonna people are gonna be like, ah, oh, well, Odell had 100 yards, Golden Tate had 99 yards, so Odell's clearly the better receiver. But I agree, Pat Shermer spoke very highly of Golden Tate at his press conference, and the Giants are gonna need Golden Tate to be a, a huge contributor to this offense because. Besides Sean Shepard, the third wide receiver, yes, it's going to be Corey Coleman or Cody Latimer. But we don't got, like, the game-changing type wide receivers. That's what Golden Tate is going to have to be. But also a little fun thing that I read. Apparently, Golden Tate has been taking Eli's money on the golf course. Golden Tate's been beating Eli Manning in a few games of golf recently. Freaking son of a gun. (laughs) Uh Now, I can't believe we went 20 minutes in the show and I have not brought this guy up. Mark McLaurin, man. I like this guy. He is was an undrafted safety out of Mississippi State. He had a horrible combine. 
47740, 12 bench press reps. Just that's really not good. And I was like, okay, they, they, but they use him a lot. They brought him up in the box. You know, they put him deep in cover three. They even put him in the nickel. It's like, okay, so, you know, James Betcher likes his versatile guys. We'll see what happens. I don't see him making a roster spot unless that, like, that fourth safety is just that bad and they give it to him. But uh, Arch Stapleton wrote an article on Monday saying that they were using him as the money backer, which intrigued me like no other. If there's one way, if the easiest way to intrigue me about a player, change his position. And now I'm, I'm all over this guy. So I'll do some research on it. Um, you know, uh, the, all right. For those who not, don't know, the money backer is something that the Cardinals use with Dion Buchanan. It's essentially a guy who just ro- roams around and plays in every different spot on defense. You play him deep. You play him up as a linebacker. I mean, you, you just play him in every single position besides the defensive line. And even sometimes you'll fit him out on the edge. Uh, so I was like, okay, that's really intriguing. I, you know, I looked at some of the numbers. He, you know, he had a good career. He had three interceptions in uh, Lamar Jackson's last game. I was like, definitely intriguing. Something I'll be interested to see. Although I see him as being a practice squad guy. But they've been working. They were working him in with the number the ones at linebacker, and that's what they have him uh, lined up. Like his position is a linebacker. He's not a safety. So that completely intrigues me. He's he's only six one, like two twelve, I believe. Uh, but like I said, the combine numbers. They're you know I don't put too much into combine numbers, but it also like four seven seven is not great. Like you don't want your safety running that. Um, so him playing linebacker, it just really intrigues me and. It makes me think, like, maybe this guy has a shot at the roster. Uh, I'm not, you know, well, he does have a shot at the roster, but, you know, uh, you know, a better chance than some. And we know how much, like, Janis Betcher loves versatile guys. Jabril Peppers is one of those guys. Tate Davis, someone who played three years of safety in college. Uh, so, yeah, definitely intriguing to see what happens with him going forward. No, no, yeah, as you said, James Betcher's defense is very versatile. That's why I believe – they brought in Jabril Peppers because he could play many positions, corner, safety. If he wanted to, he could be a linebacker at some points. And it just feels like this Giants team, they want to be more like, what's the word? Like more, They experiment more with their players. As an example, Eric Dungy, a quarterback who does have a future of quarterback, at least on the Giants, is playing tight end sometimes. And he could be like one of those bulldozer type guys. Now you got Mark McLaurin playing linebacker and safety. So the Giants are really experimenting with their players. And it's fun to see how different players could fit in on this team. And they're trying to give many players an opportunity to earn a spot on this roster because it's just this team, it just has a different vibe to it than, like, in the past few years. Like, Ben McAdoo is very traditional. Tom Coughlin, very traditional. Pat Sherman just feels like he bring a new blood, new form of, like, style to this team. Yeah, it's going to be a creative year, especially on the defensive side. And I'm a big believer that when you have 90 roster spots, Try some things out. Like Austin Drugsma, the guard that didn't play college football, he was a shot putter. Like, like I'm a big believer. I'm trying to hold on to sneeze. Bless you. Bless you. Oh, thank you, Danny. That was very unprofessional. And that was kind of a girly sneeze. Usually my sneezes are much more manly. <laughs> uh, sorry, Austin Drugsma. A guy who, you know, he had uh, scholarships at Clemson and FSU to play football. He wanted to do shot put. That's what he did. I'm a big believer. Like, you know, give him a shot. Let's see what happens. Mark McLaurin, a guy who didn't have, uh, you know, great uh, great combine measurements and wasn't the greatest in coverage of safety when he was at Mississippi State. Let him play linebacker. Give him a chance. Jake Carlock, the kid out of LIU Post. Let him play. Eric Dungy. Like, I'm a big believer in, in like, trying trying things out when you have 90 spots. And you ha- you're guaranteed to cut 37 of them. Why not have some of those guys some experiments? Uh, this is obviously not true, but it, I just thought it because I remember you just said the combine. Maybe the Giants are one of the teams that asked uh, the Baltimore uh, quarterback, Tracy McSorley, uh, to work out a corner. Who knows? Maybe they were that team. Yeah. Well, he did He did come in with a visit uh, with the Giants because he was a local one. I love when everyone was freaking out. Like, Trace McSorley? It's like, listen, like they don't, it doesn't count as a visit. If he comes in, uh, 
I remember I hyped up Tracy McSorley during the Senior Bowl. I'm like, yeah, this quarterback could be the next big thing. Well, you're I a Penn State guy, Danny. You I, 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 I do have some Penn State biases. Juan Saquon and a two Grant Haley. So now I'm like, every Penn State player is the best player you could get out of college. So, yes, I may have some biases towards Penn State. But, you know, you got to have biases at some point. Yeah, not me. I'm never biased at all. No, ever. never, ever. No doubt. <laughs> uh, all right, so some before we move the mailbag, Evan Ingram didn't participate um, in, like, team drills. Uh, Pat Shermer said it was because of soreness. He did do some drills with the tight ends, so he wasn't completely out of practice, but he did start out on the side and didn't participate in team. I mean, kind of weird, but, I mean, I'm not going to pit any, pit anything into that, really. It's, it's a minicamp. I don't care. It just rest him. Don't even risk it at this point. Because if we risk risk Evan Ingram and we lose him to something stupid, I would be ick very much annoyed at that. And also, Olsen, uh, Pierre, the guy we signed as a free agent, he was also on the side working. Once again, I don't know much about his injuries. I believe he had a knee injury last year. So maybe he's still recovering from that. So there's that. Yeah, definitely. All right. And unless you got anything else, Danny, we'll move on to the mailbag. I do got one thing. It's about R.J. McIntosh. I forgot to bring it up during Pat Shermer's press conference. He said R.J. McIntosh has gotten a lot bigger and stronger this year, and he also claimed that R.J. McIntosh is caught up with the rest of the defense on the playbook, so I thought you would like to hear that. I do like to hear that. I remember, now I remember that. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, R.J. McIntosh would be really interesting. We're kind of crowded at defensive line with Dalvin Thomason and Texter Lawrence, but McIntosh is a guy that you know, I'm a, I I'm, I got Miami bias, so I like I like McIntosh, but like you watch his game against Notre Dame, like he he got some penetration against Quentin Nelson, like he, he had a good game that game. So yeah, all right, that's it. Uh, before we move on to the mailbag, a quick advertisement. All right, so a lot of people are starting podcasts today. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Their creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one play. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You'll be glad you did. Mail time. Mail time. The mail's here. Come on. Bye, guys. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. All right, Danny. Let's get into the mail. First question comes from Ad Blue Bread Sears. He asks, Hey, what the hell seems up with Eli? Do you think he's feeling the pressure of having number eight behind him? Uh, I mean, he probably is uh, because he this is his first real competition in who knows how many years. So, yeah, I mean, he must feel some form of heat behind him knowing that at any moment they can bench him because they believe they have something to Daniel Jones. So, yes, I believe he's feeling the pressure behind him. Yeah, I, I think it's like a yes and no answer. One, yes, he is going to be feeling the heat behind him. That's what we've talked about. That's something that should push him to be better. But at the end of the day, like these OTAs and mini camps are just that. There's no pads. There's like it's, it's you can't really read into anything like negative or positive. Like you can't you can't look at Daniel Jones read option and be like, well, he's gonna run for a, you know he's gonna have one of those every other game. Um, it's just that like there's gonna be mistakes happen. This is where you work. This is like where you work those things out. You know here and obviously in training camp. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not reading into anything, like, too neg- – like, okay, if Eli's arm looked dead, yeah, that's an issue. But, like, just, like, incompletion uh, versus completions, uh, I don't look into that too much. Um, and, like, you know, count- we never counted stats at OTAs until the past few years. So, as much as, like, I like to get excited about the, the good stuff, it's just you really can't, like, buy in too heavy into either. No, yeah, you're right. Uh, next question comes from at Giant Dreamin. He said, "Hey guys, would like would like your workout take on two guys today, uh, Paul Perkins and Darius Slayton." Uh, Bobby, I'll send it to you first. Yeah, Paul Perkins. Uh, you know, Coach Shermer said that he looked pretty good, and I guess let, let's just turn that into this discussion. Who do you have as your number three running back behind 
obviously Saquon Barkley and Wayne Gallman. Between Paul Perkins and, and Rod Smith, you could throw John Hillman in there, although I I just don't see him making the roster. Uh, I don't see him making practice squad, to be honest. You know, Paul Perkins was supposed to be a starter for us at one point, and I'm no way like defending Paul Perkins and saying he's good, but we're, we're talking about the number three running back. Uh, you know, Rod Smith averaged 2.9 yards per carry last year. But, you know, that's spelling a guy like Zeke behind a, a pretty damn good offensive line that the Dallas Cowboys had. So Paul Perkins, like I'm I'm kind of not excited about him, but I think he can be a really good number three running back. It's interesting that uh, Dave Gettleman has brought back in uh, a Jerry Reese guy after last year, you know, you know, showing that he you know will not like cut. A, he, he, he can't cut a Jerry Reese guy quick enough. The fact that they moved on from Ron Martin, who's a guy that I really liked, and still holding out hope that somehow they bring him back on the roster because I, I really thought he could challenge for that number two, number three running back. But yeah, Paul Perkins, I think he can be a really good number three running back. And like I said, he was our he was our starter at one point. No, yeah, you're right. And but it's weird because with the number three spot, Pat Shermer says he could see Rod Smith playing. He wants also Rod Smith to play special teams. So I'm not sure how that they could work that out. I mean. But yeah, Paul Perkins, he's just more of a wild card at this point because who knows what he could bring the Shermer scheme because we didn't see him last year and he was, because he was injured. So we just don't know really what he brings right now. Pat Shermer says he's running routes good, but as you said, we can't take everything as it is because there's no contact going on. This is just doing drills and passing the ball around and hands off. So I, I, it's just I'm not sure how to feel about Paul Perkins. I'm not the biggest fan of him, but I mean I could see reason why people have faith in him to be a quality number three back and then on to Darius Slayton I mean let me let me uh, get one more thing on the, between those two guys yeah uh, I've, I've seen some people say well Rod Smith he can play fullback Pat Shermer is gonna he always carries a fullback he has everywhere he's been in fact he even carried a fullback twice so Elijah Penny is the fullback for the team he has really no competition so Rod Smith I don't see being a fullback but like you said it's really all you can judge with running backs right now is their route running, or you can see something that's like alarmingly bad um, because like, like you said, there's no contact. There's no like, you know, Oh, he read the hole and he, he bounced off this guy. There's just, there's just nothing to really gain substance of. Uh, you could, like I said, you could look at route running and there can be stuff that's really bad, but for running backs, there's really nothing you can be like, Oh wow. That's, that's really good. No. Yeah. And on to Darius Slayton. I mean, uh, he's in a crowded room right now. Cause you got a, I'll list Sterling Shepard, Golda Tate, Cody Latimer, Benny Fowler, Russell Shepard. Uh, it's just a crowded room right there in that wide receiver room. So Darius Slayton, obviously he's not going to get cut. If anyone gets cut, it's probably going to be Benny Fowler because he. I feel like he's the odd man out right now. I did a breakdown on it, breakdown on him, and I said I think he is the odd man out of this wide receiver group. So obviously Darius Slayton, because next year Cody Latimer is going to be gone. Uh, Russell Shepard could also be gone as well. So he could have a big role next year as well. So this year, I think it's more of the grooming process of Darius Slayton. So next year, he can come in and be a quality backup or even vibe for the number three wide receiver position. I forgot Corey Coleman as well on my list. Yeah, Slayton is a draft pick, so he will be on the roster. And he has like a 40-inch vertical, uh, 4-4-40. The guy, like he has all the athletic stuff. So I definitely see him on the roster. And I'm a big believer of like a guy with that kind of talent who can run and jump like that. And he made some really big plays at Auburn, like no doubt. I'm a big fan of giving that guy five to ten snaps of the game, even if you're just using him as a decoy just to, you know, make sure a safety's covering over the top, like to help with the run game, like stuff like that. Um, and then obviously, you know, throwing him a bomb every once in a while, you know, give him a shot, put him in some smoke screen kind of stuff. But his drops have been an issue. Today was the first day we didn't hear about Darius Slayton drops. But every other practice, it seems like we've heard about Darius Slayton drops, and a lot of those got turned into interceptions. And like from rookie camp, both OTAs, we heard that. We didn't hear from mini camp today, and we won't hear from the next two days. Uh, you know, I doubt the like the end, the inside the Giants media will be putting out that he had drops, um, and they don't like they don't put out stats for practice. But yeah, he has to figure out that drops, and and drops are not an easy thing to just you don't just figure that out. I mean, look at a guy like Ted Ginn, who, you know, he was a top 10 pick. Uh, yeah, he has issues with the drops, but he's so talented. I mean, to this day, Ted Ginn still has problems with drops. Great playmaker, but still has issues with drops. So that is not something that I just kind of brush off. He does need to hopefully figure that out. 
that's a great comparison right there. Obviously, we're not comparing Darius Slayton and Ted Ginn Jr., but that's just a great comparison, that aspect that the drops are still there, but Ted Ginn is a playmaker, so I like that comparison that you did right there. Uh, the next question comes from at Coach T-O-B-C-N-Y-C. He asked, how does DJ, Daniel Jones' skill set look to next to Eli? Does it look like he could supplement Eli just on sheer ability for the sake of the team? Uh, I mean, really, the big – Daniel Jones, I think he has a better arm at Eli right now. Obviously, that's not a big take. That's Eli's old. Daniel Jones is young, so that's obviously there. Uh, right now, Eli obviously probably has a better feel on defenses and all that, once again, because he's been in the league for 13, 14, 15 years. Uh, Daniel Jones has been in the league for less than about two months. And really, the only big difference I see between them, at least my take, is just Daniel Jones can actually run and he can move around the pocket and buy time. Eli cannot buy time if his life depended on it. He sees pressure coming at him. Eli's in the fetal position on the ground, which isn't a bad thing. He's protecting himself. But still, that's one of the differences I feel like is there between them. Yeah, well, can you repeat the question for me again? It was, how do they compare? Uh, how does DJ's skill set look next to Eli? Is it look like he can supplement Eli just on sheer ability for the sake of the team? Yeah, well, unfortunately, we're not there, so we don't get to see. Obviously, there's, you know clips put out uh from some of the media and then obviously the giants put out their clips but like the clips they put out were you know two amazing passes in that run yeah the running stuff like that is an asset it's not like it's not jeff swartz like running quarterbacks can't win he's not a running quarterback but his his legs are an asset um just having the threat of the read option is huge especially when you have a guy like saquon barkley where guys are going to try and stack the box where backside defensive ends are going to collapse in. If you have that threat that Daniel Jones could run run behind that backside defensive end, that keeps that guy disciplined, that takes one defender off of Saquon, and it opens up cutback lanes. I mean, it does a whole lot for a team. And he's not a guy that's going to be running around all the time where his offensive line doesn't know where he's at, uh, you know, pass blocking-wise. So that's definitely an asset. Um, the arm looks great. Uh, I think I think for the most part, all the like, oh, he doesn't have deep ball velocity. I think that stuff has been put to bed. Um, you know, there's still a few people out there, but for the most part, everyone's like, okay, like, I mean, every single beat reporter, even the even like the guys who like are pretty negative, have been like, okay, like his arm is fine. Like it, you can like you can take shots at his game, but his arm really isn't that. Uh, so the arm talent's there, and I know uh, Panic asked the question about as far as starting, so I won't go into that but yeah like he is like i'm i'm super excited for the kid um i don't think he's gonna start week one but i guess we'll talk about that in panic's question yes and the final question comes from a friend of the show at j panic 74 he said start in the hashtag start danny jones now train because i'm a believer since we took the guy at six and we need to get the most value out of him as possible out of him you don't learn anything on the bench. He plays this year. We rock and roll two years. We rock and roll in two years plus. Obviously, very unlikely. But want to hear your thoughts. Um, it's see, it's such a slippery slope because one, we're the Giants, and the Giants have an attachment to Eli Manning, and I don't think they're willing to throw that away right now. Uh, I don't see a world where Eli doesn't start Week One unless injury happens. Because, once again, Eli has done so much for this franchise, and they're not going to want to have to deal with the fan backlash like they dealt with with when they benched him for Geno Smith. Maybe this is a different situation. But I see why people want Daniel Jones to start, just to throw him in the fire right now and get him used to NFL-type situations. But I think Daniel Jones will benefit greatly from being on the bench and just talking to like the guy like uh, Alex Tanney, who watched Eli last year. He can pick him for some information. Uh, and he'll just also watch Eli read the defense as well. I just feel like Daniel Jones should start on the bench as of now, but come at me maybe week 12 of this year. Maybe I'll be saying a different tune saying Daniel Jones needs to start. Listen, I'm obviously a huge supporter of Daniel Jones. But Justin Pennick, I, I love Justin. I really do. He's a good guy. I've talked to him a bunch of times. Uh, he's a big supporter of us. I listen to his stuff. I'm, I'm about to start doing the SpongeBob lowercase, uppercase value with Justin Pennick. Because like, I, I get having like your lane, but man, it's everything. Oh, value, value, value. To say that you don't learn anything from sitting on the bench behind a guy, that's just not true. Like, it's just not. Just throwing a guy out there who might not be ready. And you know, maybe Daniel Jones will be ready. But, like, he played at Duke, and, like, there's it's a huge adjustment to the NFL. 
Eli Manning still has the arm. His numbers were like Eli wasn't as bad as people made him out to be. Um, he's not. He's also not wasn't as good as some people like like are like oh like hardcore like oh we, you know we led the point the division in points and look at the stats because as we've made clear stats can lie when they're bad and they can lie when they're good. Um, listen, I, I'm not bashing Eli at all. Like I think he like I said like I said before, the hate of Eli Manning has been overboard, but. He was very conservative last year, like to a fault. Um, it changed a little bit as the season went on, but in the beginning of the season, he was conservative to a fault, and I get the offensive line plays a lot into that, and then when your offensive line can't block, teams run cover two. I get all that. But learn, sitting behind a quarterback and learning helps. One, you're not being – like you're not looking look, – like, it allows you to make mistakes in practice and not really stress out about it too much. It allows you to, to take chances and learn how to take chances. I mean, look at Patrick Mahomes. And I know that he's like one of the first first round guys in a while that sat a whole year, but he doesn't have that year rookie year. They say you don't learn anything from that. Like that's just that's just not true. Like you learn from sitting. It ha- allows you to learn, you know, learn and see. Oh, this is where he missed it, made the mistake here in the game. The blah blah blah. This and and just being on the field next to it instead of watching on film uh, does a whole lot. It does matter uh, when when like sitting behind a guy and learning. Like I think almost every coach will tell you that. Obviously there there's been a lot of guys, most guys have started, you know, before week 5 lately. But there there is a lot to be learned from sitting behind a guy and especially like a behind a guy like Eli Manning, not like, you know, Baker Mayfield behind Tyrod Taylor where Ty, Tyrod Taylor's kind of been like check down Charlie and then take a deep bomb here and there um and use his legs. So Daniel Jones definitely has a lot to learn from behind Eli Manning, um, learning the offense. There's, there's just so much to learn, um, especially when there's no two days anymore in, in training camp. The uh, like, there's not a lot of practice. Um, preseason is hard to gauge, and like Daniel Jones has been playing really well, but it is against two, the, the second and third string guys. Uh, so, like the difference is like, a, okay, so like if Eli Manning was playing against the twos and threes, I guarantee his stats would be better because I, I know the argument like, oh well, it's the number of twos and threes on offense. But when you're that, like, if you're the better out of that, you should be winning that battle. It's just a fact if you've been around practices. Uh, so yeah, like I, I do understand that it's against these twos and threes. Like wide, like wide receivers still know how to go out and make plays, especially when you're not getting hit. Um, have the warrior of that where de- defensive backs have the disadvantage when it comes to that. You can't. They're like there's just so much that goes into it, um, especially with all the young guys we have. Um, like that, like that, that Reggie White pass, that deep pass that we saw, like that was against Tony Lippett, who's just not a good corner. I don't, I really don't care what anybody says about that. But like Reggie White just kind of went deep, and Daniel Jones made a play. Um, if Janoris Jenkins is making that cover, or even like a DeAndre Baker who practiced really well, from what we've heard, like that might not happen. And there, there was it wasn't double coverage, but there were two guys in the area. A better safety might have gotten there before that. So. Like I said, I'm I'm as 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 excited about any as anybody about like these uh, mini camps, OTAs, and like how well Daniel Jones has been performing from what we've seen. But I also am not like freaking out like, oh my gosh, look how good he is. We need to start him now. No, yeah, that's a hundred percent a fair point. And I think it's I was gonna touch on two of your points. It just, first point is it's just based on like the situation uh, the player's in. As you say with Patrick Mahomes, he was behind a very quality quarterback before the injury and Alex Smith, and he definitely benefited greatly from it. And he also had a good head coach. It's the same with Daniel Jones. He's behind one of the best Giants quarterbacks in the franchise history. And he's with a good head coach who made Case Keenum look like an NFL Hall of Famer. And now that's probably reaching for it just because that's one year. But still, you get my point. And to the whole uh, minicamp thing, OTAs thing, yeah, the corners are very much restricted in what they can do because they can't really hit anyone because they're not allowed to yet. We'll get a better idea of how good Eli Manning and Daniel Jones are when training camp starts. Once again, I'm putting out hot takes here because that's all I do. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to like really give – like some in-depth analysis off this stuff. One, we're not there. We're only seeing clips and and just reading from what uh, we've heard. Hopefully one day we'll be able to get out there and we'll give you the freaking best analysis there ever was. But yeah, like I said, I'm excited as anybody about this, but I'm also like temper your temper your expectations from this stuff. Like it's and and that's another thing. This is kind of off topic. Like we kind of get labeled as positive guys and we are, but it's the off season. It's OTAs. Like, it's the only time like you can really be positive 
unless you're winning, going out and winning games. So, like, trust me, like, yes, we're positive guys, but if we start at 0-3, you're going to hear, like, a whole different tone out of us. So, anyways, yeah, that, that's kind of a side tangent, but anyways. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Our tone will be totally different when we're if we go 0-3. But just to finish on my point, uh, we just won't understand how good he is until contact really starts. Once players start getting bumped around, he's got, like, real pressure coming at him. So once once we get to July, that's when we'll know how legit Daniel Jones is. And that's also when we'll figure out how legit Eli is. Because I saw Jordan Rain and say he fought Eli and Daniel Jones had a terrible practice. But a lot of other people were saying they both had great practices. So it's just a matter of right now opinion. Many people think Daniel Jones and Eli Manning look great. Some people think Eli Manning and Daniel Jones suck right now. So it's just we have to wait until training camp and once we get into preseason action to really formulate a better opinion on who should be the starting quarterback week one. Yeah, and here's another thing. like we And we will put out the stats that people put out. And like I even credited Matt Lombardo, Matt Lombardo who is really the only beat guy who I've openly been like I do not like. And being more honed in on the Giants this year than any year because we're doing the show, we were more like I was kind of more focused nationally and obviously a focus on the Giants. Like people, like I didn't see many people, or I didn't see Lombardo put out like for the interceptions that they were both tip balls, and that's what that that's flat out what they were. I think Arch Stapleton, Patricia Trainer, like a few other people let it out. Um, so I'm not even saying they had good practices. We weren't there, so maybe they did have really big, bad practices. Um, and like, you know, Daniel Jones shined in the red zone, like, okay. Like for example, Daniel Jones, two for three and a touchdown, the one that Cody Latimer in the red zone drill, uh, Eli Manning, oh for three, it's three passes. And it's the first time they've done a red zone drill like this off season. So like I get wanting to overreact and like, and I've overreacted on the good side where it's like, oh wow, two for three and a touchdown where it's like really like any cured quarterback can do that. If it's the right situation. Now, don't get me wrong. That pass to Cody Latimer was absolutely beautiful. But it's just don't overreact to it. And like, okay, Matt Lombardo, his tweets about, I can't even remember what they were about, Eli Manning. Uh, last, Oh, like the Eli Manning like completely missed a guy or, or something like that where it was completely taken out of context or, or false. I can't remember which one it was. It's hard to keep track with. But like the whole like national media and the NFL memes page like took that and it gets like share, shared around. Like that's what I th- I feel like that's what those guys live for is to have their thing like oh wow that's hilarious like when in reality like saying that a ball was tipped um, and then intercepted isn't going to go national people aren't going to talk about it and that's just part of being so honed into one team like we are like people who are listening to our mini camp episodes are so I get that it's aggravating but it happens with every team so I, I don't even know like how I started that and and how I ended it anyways. No, yeah, and I agree with everything you said. It's just more of a waiting game right now to see what they bring to the table. All right. Did we have another question about Eric Dungy? No, that was it. Unless I'm missing something, I'll go make sure, but I believe that was the final question. And... I thought I saw something about Eric Dungy. Okay, I thought I saw something about Eric Dungy, so I was kind of planning on talking about that. So let's just do it. Oh, uh, wait, we'll... wait, wait, wait. Hang on. There's a question hidden. Yes, there is at Jake Roberts. Triple two. He asked, "Do you guys think Aaron Dungy makes the team?" I'll hand it to you. I I'm as confident as probably anybody that he will make the team. We're not going to know what his role is until the regular season. We won't even know his role in the preseason. We'll see him on like punt protector and stuff like that in the preseason. But as far as him being integrated to the offense and being used as a wildcat, Taysom Hill type, we're not going to know any of that to regular season because there's no reason for to put that out on tape and let the team's game plan against it. When the first time, If Eric Dungy is using that Taysom Hill role, the first time we will see any hint of it will be in a regular season game surprising a team uh, just because like that helps you get one more win. And in a 16-game schedule, you do everything you can to win every single game. So it's not like basketball where you're trying to work in you know, your, your 7-7 center in Taco Fall or Bobon. You're like, okay, like we got to figure out we got to work this before the season starts. We're not going to know what his role is until the regular season. But I don't think they, you know, sign him as an undrafted free agent and all that stuff if they're not going to use him. Pat Shermer has kind of hinted at liking the Taysom Hill role. We saw him, you know, play Coletta at wide receiver for a play last year. So, yeah, I'm I'm very confident that Eric Dungy will be on the roster come opening day. No, and to your point of hard stuff, the Giants didn't show that play where they throw the ball to Odell and he throws the ball deep until – 
I think it was week four or five against Carolina. Yeah, so you just I, don't show your trick plays before you have to because yeah. you, like, you don't want that kind of stuff on film. We'll know Eric Dungy. We'll figure out once again, I'm about to provide another hot take. If Eric Dungy makes his team, he's in the Taysom Hill role 100%. If he doesn't make this team, then, one, he's not on the team, so I'm not sure where I'm going with that. But if he makes the team, it's a Taysom Hill role for him, no doubt in my mind. Yeah, there's no reason to have him on just to be a punt protector and to run down on kickoff. Like there's, there's, like I said, if he's on the team, expect to see him taking snaps and running read option and lining up a tight end, like all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, Eric Dungey, I'm excited to see him. And, like, because Daniel Jones can run that read option and they'll be practicing that, you also don't want Daniel Jones taking, you know, eight carries a game and taking big hits. So, like, we talked about that before. It's definitely an asset, but we're also not going to be the Washington Redskins with RG3 where it's, where it is our offense because guys just get hurt like that. Like, I get the weapon. And, in fact, Daniel Jones, like, he needs to learn to go down. At Duke, he fought for every inch, and that's I appreciate like that mindset. But you have to learn to go down because you will get smacked in this league and have to miss games. We saw he, you know, he missed uh, two games because of a broken collarbone and came back, which was like we don't talk about that enough. Like arm strength, like homeboy had a broken collarbone and was playing two weeks later. Um, so yeah, but Eric Dungy, like he can fill that role where like you have to be disciplined in every single position when he's in there taking the snap. No, and like this, like for uh, the Giants did a lot of QB sneaks on fourth and short. They could do that with Eric Dungey because Eli's not made for that role. Obviously, he completed, I believe, all of them, maybe except one. But if they need to go for fourth and short, you throw Eric Dungey in there and just send him right up the middle because Eric Dungey has no care in the world. He just wants to play football and get dirty. Dude, that play against Miami where it just kicks the guy, like, that gets me happy every time. Do you remember us pitting Jared Lorenzen under center for fourth and one? And, like, he's bigger than the center, and he's just plowing through to get that one yard. I do have the memory of it. It's such a vague memory, but I do have the memory of that play. It, it was funny so to see funny. how huge he is. I have to find that picture and put it out because it's just so funny that, like, he's bigger than the center. I can't remember who our center at the time was. Maybe it was Chris Bober. I can't even remember. But, yeah, it's just such a funny moment. All right. I guess that's it. Appreciate you guys listening. Uh, I know we tra- – I've been really disciplined on, like, hey, let's do Tuesday and Friday. Let's stick to that schedule. But, like, there's so much we had to talk about, and I'm really glad we waited. Um, that's not something – like, we, we've been pretty disciplined about Tuesday and Friday, and that's the way it will be um, unless we change something up for the season. But, yeah, I think it was definitely worth it. And then for Friday's show, we'll be recapping day two and day three of minicamp. Until then, folks, go Big Blue. <laughs>